0: I'm here with Mats Jongren, hopefully pronouncing it correctly. He's a CEO and founder of a company called Boozang. It's a software to test other software. Pretty cool concept which we'll dive into in the moment. Mats, super excited to have you here. Thank you very much. Let's first um, start off by telling me about yourself. How did you get to the point of creating or starting a company like Boozang? What What was your background? I know you did a lot in engineering and development before doing that. So just give us and uh, our listeners a little bit of a background.
1: Well, so you know how l- a lot of people say, I've been an entrepreneur for all my life and having a <laughs> lemonade stand and all that. Uh, that was not me. Glory days. <laughs> yeah, it was not me at all. It was really uh, quite the opposite. I remember, so I'm, I'm from Sweden, that's where, why I have the strange name of Jungren. And I remember I was very interested in chemistry when I was a kid. I had my own laboratory and stuff like that, making uh, fireworks and explosives. That's amazing. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we did did some really stupid things. Um, But I wasn't at all interested in entrepreneurship. Uh, I was very into Mm. chemistry and physics and that kind of stuff. And even when I hit university uh, in Gothenburg... um, I remember there was a lot of people that were like, yeah, we're going to start a business. We're going to do this. And I was like really an antipreneur. I wasn't at all interested in that part at all. Interesting. Uh, uh, But I was very into the academic part, right? So I was doing physics. uh, I was specializing in, so I was doing a lot of theoretical physics. uh, And at that time, um, this was, you know, between 2000 and 2004. So it was kind of like when AI was really popular before it died, you know? Yeah. So that was like the second AI wave, I think. So so we did really mm-hmm. cool stuff. We built our own neural networks. Uh I remember we took um you know these radio controlled cars?
0: Oh yeah, I loved them. I loved them. I we I think it was yeah, it was like late 90s when we had them uh in Eastern Europe where I
1: where I'm from. They were like so cool. Yeah, we really loved that. So what we did was we we built this uh, kind of... Um, we built the robot that would control the actual radio-controlled car. And then on the car, we put like a light. And that was like the positioning system. And then we had a computer that actually used like uh, evolutionary programming, which is a type of AI uh, mm-hmm. that would basically control. And we would actually teach the car to drive to a random point in the room. So we would leave it in the research building, you know, for like a day. And then we would come back the next day and then we will see that it's broken through, you know, like somewhere where we shouldn't be. And then we, we built like walls and stuff like that. And we actually manage to using, you know, AI and evolutionary programming, program this uh, robot to control. So we could put a point anywhere in the room and the car would mm-hmm. kind of like the robot would control it it would back up and it would drive to any point in the room so that was really really cool super cool absolutely
0: so and that was while you were working at a company or no that was, was, was that
1: was that was when i was a student at at the, yeah. at the faculty and then uh, i i when i i got a scholarship to go to japan and i did some i, I was going to do my phd in physics but then I found that there was, it wasn't very, uh, engineering physics isn't a very social environment. Mm. And I'm fairly extrovert, so <laughs> it, it didn't yeah. really work out. Uh, I, so, so, so what I ended up doing in the end was I got a job uh, for a small company that was kind of the inventor of, The first mobile portals, I don't know if you remember those, if you had like Rogers Mm. or Bell, you, you would hit the internet button on the phone and it wouldn't take you to the internet, it would kind of take you to this other portal that wanted to sell you ringtones and all that stuff
0: oh yeah we had that too i was because i wasn't i was not from canada i I was still living in ukraine in eastern europe but we had that and you had this you know you go into your phone and it will redirect you to this thing that you could like they will sell you a bunch of stuff well ringtone as well
1: (laughs) yeah i guess you were were you even on Were ukraine was that even on vodafone or not no,
0: it was no. They had local carriers. They had uh, UMC, Kivstar, and a bunch of uh, a bunch of others. They didn't have the bigger names. And then only, I think we got Vodafone very recently, like literally a couple of years ago. And then obviously they they re you know I think they just uh, rebranded the local
1: carrier. Okay, very cool. Because that's what I was doing. The first job I did was basically going to Vodafone in Germany and consolidating all the Vodafone portals. So Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal, uh, UK, all in, in Düsseldorf. Right? You can imagine taking all mm. those different cultures and trying to get them all to kind of... Now everything is going to be managed from Germany. So that was my first job.
0: Amazing, amazing. So... Um and then, Matt, after that, I know you did a bit of a stint at Ericsson and I think a few other companies, right?
1: Yeah, so basically what happened was that that company I worked for, that where I was working down in, in Germany, it got uh, bought up by Ericsson. And that mm. basically... Then we had a lot of projects with the Rogers and with Bell. So that took me to Toronto. I was living in Kensington Market for three years. And uh, <laughs> then I, I basically just kind of okay i'm in canada now i should base myself in canada and then that was montreal so then i was basically working out of montreal but in reality i was in in latin america for a couple of years and in china and all around the place so uh, it was just after all that work uh, mm-hmm. you know i defaulted back to montreal where i live now
0: how do you like uh, Matt? so you spend quite a bit of time in different places sweden germany Canada, what do you find about the culture? How do you feel about, like, for you as somebody who's been born in Sweden? What do you prefer?
1: I really love it here. Uh, You know, there's a lot of good things to say about Sweden, but I'm, I mean, Montreal is my favorite city in the world. I I find that um, the Swedish culture, people are still very reserved. The social Mm. programs are really, really good. But because people are too reserved, it's not my uh, cup of tea. So I, I love being here in Montreal.
0: Interesting. Interesting. No, the culture is totally great. I mean, I only spent about a day or maybe a couple of days in Montreal. Uh, I think it was 2017. Love the city. Beautiful. We want to come back for Formula One this year, June. We'll see. Oh should yeah. Be you, really should,
1: you should totally be here.
0: Yeah. It's so, so much fun. Now, so you started a SaaS company, you started Buzang which is software to test other software. And I'm. you'll dive into more details in a minute. But you brought it from the prototype stage to, you know, to a first-paying customer. What was it like? What was the process like?
1: Well, I guess it was, we, we had a very, so it was my co-founder, who Wen Sheng Li, who approached me with the idea, and he's the idea maker. And he had a patent and a new idea on how to do test automation, which is, uh, you know, with a pretty, crowded field. So it's not very often you see a a completely novel idea in this space. So we actually thought with this novel idea that, I mean, this would be a no brainer, you know? And, uh, you know, I started a consulting company before, Uh, you know, it was easy to sell hours, but just going and trying to start up and then to try and sell software licenses, basically to sell a product, it's so much Mm -hmm. harder than I could ever have imagined, right? so. For the first year, we didn't have any customers and we had like an amazing product, but we didn't have a good go-to-market strategy. The mm. The product was a little clunky. We're not uh, U- UX experts. So it was just really, really hard to break through the noise. And even if we had like really, really extraordinary technology, uh, which we, of course, <laughs> which we still do, uh, we were, yeah. we found it, extremely challenging it was surprising to us shocking actually
0: do you <laughs> see what matt's was it was it um like i often hear and it's as often times it's true that the, the being having a great product is not quite enough it's a lot of times to, to to do with like what marketing do you have what brand awareness do you have so people actually know what you're doing and uh, they they know a little bit more about you. Uh, so, you, so you can stand out this way. What do you think was the challenge in the first year, having a great product, although not amazing in the UX, in a, from the UX perspective?
1: What I think is, is very difficult, and we were actually still figuring this out, I think we never have it fully figured out, is that in the beginning, you push on your technology, right? And then you say, oh, hmm. we have such special, unique technology. Nobody cares then you start saying oh what are other people looking and i didn't know anything about startups you look at all these other startups and then you start saying oh help save time with productivity software and you mm-hmm. and you and you push this out which would probably find 5 years ago but now when there's so much software as a service productivity software just to talk about time saved uh, you know all this stuff it's it just mm-hmm. gets drowned out people go everyone says that so i think what i would advise my younger self like right now mm-hmm. is two things one thing is for us we have extremely strong technology so, so we, we shouldn't lose focus on that we still have to say why we're special in terms mm-hmm. of like basically why we're different so we need to find our own voice not just say Uh, better teamwork, get, you know, uh, get software to market faster, because then you just sound like the other 50 players in the market. Uh, The second thing that I would say is start doing case studies early. Like after a year, we Mm -hmm. had our first paying customer and we had, you know, and they were getting tremendous value. So just make sure Mm -hmm. that they document and they say what's good about your software and then you can together, you know, help, to spread that message and then you get another customer and and I I just started like we're on our third year and now I'm Mm. starting to to pay more attention to kind of putting the case studies in play and and sharing them on social media Uh, another thing that is a little controversial that I would say um, Mm -hmm. we were learning very often like very early on that oh you have all these companies powered by google ads and Uh, all that and and this is such a bad you know bad way to build your business and I would say if you have a couple of hundred dollars per month to spend on it to experiment with your value proposition and all that you can kind of do a lot of you can learn a lot from that and also you can do lead forensics kind of saying Mm -hmm. oh yeah hmm, uh, these are who we think our customers are but who are really clicking on these ads and then you can kind of target, so you can kind of do a backwards trick. Mm-hmm. Th- does that make sense? Yeah,
0: yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think you brought some super, super important point that uh, a lot of companies miss. And the first one is positioning. And when you have those 50, 100,000 brands, everybody doing the same thing, obviously, you don't want to be another, another brand or another company doing that. You want to uh, identify those unique Points that are very specific to you, and that are, re- and, and then identify the segment of customers who cares the most. Versus trying to do something very, very similar as everybody else, then it's not going to probably work. So really, positioning the brand super important against competitors and identifying that niche where you have a better chance, and then, and then the And then after that defining what kind of messaging you'll have Uh, maybe the less time faster will not even click with customer you want something completely different that they will understand the value and then the second point is social proof totally agree i think it's such an important point as much as possible people understand that this software is people are using it there are some some reviews there's case studies there's some feedback Otherwise, nobody really buys. Most people don't buy the product on Amazon with no reviews. It really—it's very
1: similar to SaaS software, especially small SaaS software. Yeah, exactly. And and I think one point we can just to, just to go deeper in this. There is one very important point: is when I'm trying to sell test automation, I'm gonna say, automate this, and this is gonna create this benefit, and that's gonna create that benefit. And it's very hard because it's a kind of a generic tool. It's like something how would you sell, what what is Slack, right? It's messaging, Mm. okay, great, uh, but I have messaging. So it's a pretty hard sell, but imagine now that we're still saying this company, we are this kind, we are an ERP company. Since we started using Busang, since we started using Slack, this has Mm -hmm. changed for us. So if I'm an ERP company, I'm looking at that, I can be like, well, I don't know what this other thing is, but I identify with that company and these are the gains that they got. So it's just a, a way to kind of trick the psychology to get people to kind of recognize themselves. Right. So I think this is really key. Yeah, it's super important.
0: And in terms of positioning, you also want to be super clear in a way that when you say, for example, uh, we are an automation platform uh, that will immediately trigger a certain thought in customer brain and they will subconsciously compare you to uh to everything they know about automation so for example and what are the standard features the automation software needs to have and so like maybe if you are if you don't have certain features they will be like oh this is automation software that doesn't have xyz so it's kind of weird uh but maybe there's maybe your platform has a stronger point and in fact it's it's better to to automate for linkedin so it's a linkedin automation platform and that that's you know when you're making it a little bit that more specific that then customers are like oh that's pretty cool like i don't know that many platforms that do that uh and maybe and they have a different pers they different perspective what it is versus when you say uh, we're just a for example, if it, we're a slack, we're just a messenger. I'm like, well, like have a messenger? Why do I need that? Oh no, we're a messenger for teams for a company, then they have a different perception of what it is. they're like, okay, that kind of makes sense so it's like position in that is and really helps to connect with the customer
1: or it, it, not it, it's a, it's it's ex it's exactly like that it's like it will help you connect with the customer or not, but it will qualify it really quickly and I think the problem we have is that we are kind of an R&D shop in the base. So we kind of, we have a technology and we build the product around it. And Mm. what I mean with that is that we have developed like um, our own test automation language, right? So for us, we'll be like, okay, we really want this kind of short-term validation, but when you, so there is a lot of uh, automation languages like Selenium and stuff in the market. And we Mm -hmm. developed our own and we know, I mean, we know, but you know, uh, that, that yes. this is th- yes. that this is the the right way to go for an end destination which is basically um, what we call full AI so basically to be able to automatically create tests on top of an application mm-hmm. based on requirements based on what the what the documentation what 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 the, what the business requirement says not what no record none of this you know so we know mm-hmm. this is the right way. But the goal, of course, is many, you know, it's, 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 uh, well, we actually, we're going to come out with our first full AI test automation in three months. So uh, it's not that far into the future. So we, we should be the first in the market with, it's like this, Mm -hmm. um, when you talk about uh, self-driving cars, right? You talk about different levels. Yes. Yes. So we should be the first on level four here in the world. So we're excited about that. Super excited. Yeah,
0: we'll we'll definitely keep an eye and we'll obviously link all the resources for people listening so they can check out and keep an eye on on this thing. I think it's super important. I like personally software uh, as well as marketing and, and product management. So I'm excited to see what you guys come up with. Now, I wanted to, I was curious because you obviously spend a lot of time developing software, building software. There's so many companies that run whatever different quality automation or quality assurance processes. And there's this example of this massive company, Apple. And um, I'm a bit of a software geek myself. I tested a lot of their iOS betas, but what I've noticed and a lot of people did as well, you probably did if you're using Apple or you used to, that their quality of the software went down with iOS and with Mac and specifically in terms of bugs, there's a lot more bugs, it's a lot less stability, and that happened about the time when Steve Jobs passed away, 2012, when they started coming out with weird releases. They are releasing software faster, and they are releasing software with a calendar cycle. When, and what I mean by that is that they have a certain date, and doesn't matter what happens, they release iOS, they release tvOS, they release Mac OS, all on that specific date. And so I don't know if that's the part of it, but like from your perspective, why companies like Apple still like they are kind of slipping into this black hole of, uh, you know, like quality
1: or less quality in software? Uh, From what I understand, of course, it's very hard to know what's going on in these very big companies. Uh, But one thing that I think has served Apple in the past, if I understand it correctly, would be that they had a decentralized um, model when they do development. So you don't have a lot of management layers. And I think naturally in an organization like that, you can become very mission focused and have a lot of accountability in individual organization and i could you know start making to say you know all this apple stuff is is about yeah test automation right because we are a test automation platform right what i'm guessing with apple and this is just speculation is that Mm -hmm. when you have something where it's working a product that is working they have probably a lot of test automation in place Uh, but what i think is that They've been around for a long time and some of that stuff, I think, is considered kind of legacy. So I think it's actually staff turnover. I think it's like people mm. want to move and start companies and do more exciting stuff. And mm-hmm. then you get people mm-hmm. that are not as passionate about it and you get more turnover. And I think that introduces mistake. Uh, so I, I would actually guess that's the problem, but that's mm-hmm. very much speculation. Yeah, so much. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll do no, I'll take no responsibility for oh, of that. Of course
0: no total but i was just i was just you know i was just curious to know your opinion now um so in the world of sas like as you mentioned there's so many different companies so many different players everybody's developing the same thing the advantage a lot of well there are some advantages you could create obviously positioning messaging brand awareness but from the product perspective is the fact that you could ship super fast so like for example like drift they ship their products extremely fast, they push updates almost like every day, or they, they ship entirely new product, like about every month, which is crazy. I, I would love to see how that works uh, from the product management perspective. How does that work for uh, for a company like Boozang, for your company, and then how does that work in the context of um, QA
1: automation? So that's a re- really good question. I think Drift is a very interesting example. Uh, of course, I don't have a lot of inside information, but what I think that they did in their engineering team is that they probably, almost sure, but you know, this is of course speculation. Mm-hmm. Um, they probably bought, they, they built test automation into their product very early on. So So we are talking to a lot of startups that are just getting funds and they're just mm-hmm. scaling up their development team. And what happens is that, In the beginning you have one two three developers and they all know each other and they know it so well so it's great to have test automation but what often happens is that you know everyone knows the code but as soon as you scale up then you'll have okay someone working on another product and then someone goes in and perhaps launches a new feature but that destroys some other critical feature or creates like a bug that ends up in production and then mm-hmm. you kind of have to slow down the development process, right? So it's always like quality or, you know, time. And it's this yeah. trade-off all the time. And what, what what test automation does is instead of like starting to be like, oh, I have 10 features, I'm spending 10 hours to test it. And then it's like, I have, now I have 30 features and I'm spending 100 hours to test it. And then it's like, so, I mean, when you start doing that, you start having releases that are, because you have to have this testing effort that is one or two or three weeks, you can't push software more than every three month or six months, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. So, so instead of doing that, what you do is you make sure you have a really high ambition in the beginning to, to just say, okay, we're gonna do the minimal of manual testing, so everything that can be automated. So every feature, all the positive and negative use cases of that feature will be automated. And every time someone updates a code, this will, of course, automatically be mm. run. So, so, then also you have a you have a development right. team that gets instant feedback when something goes wrong, and this is really, of course, that's what we are. That's what Busang is. Uh, Busang makes that mm-hmm. really easier, right, to set that up.
0: Oh, interesting. So they are essentially they're they are using uh, they are relying more on automation, and the developers are they're more of a you know they're they're not they are less hands on. They're more overseeing
1: whatever if something goes wrong with the code. Exactly like that. And also imagine, right, you can have a flatter organization because if it's not going through the same kind of QA process, as soon as I make a mistake, everyone in my team will get a notification that something broke. You can have a lamp in your office that turns red or something, and then I fix my bug. So I also get instant feedback on my work, and I'm held accountable. I mean, in a good way, right, to learn, not like, oh, blame, blame, right, but in a very good way. So everyone learns really quickly. So that's the kind of a modern development team mm-hmm. you want to set up. No, that's very cool. How do you get customer feedback?
0: And this is a this is a tough one, I'm sure, for all the product managers and developers out there. How do you get customer feedback to a point of minimizing the wasted effort uh, when you're building something? How do you make sure that you're not solving the wrong problem, almost, because there's always this urgency. Oh, let's just build something, and you you're not getting, or peop, some people or some startups are not getting enough feedback, uh, and they are kind of going into a wrong direction. They have a lot of wasted hours and creating a code that maybe
1: not quite, uh, not quite right. Um, well, it, it definitely applies to us. We had very low traction in the beginning, um, and instead of really slowing down our our feature Uh, I'm I'm not sure if I would recommend this to anyone but instead of kind of waiting for the market to tell us what to build we 100% uh, devoted ourselves to R&D and improving and building a really really comprehensive feature set and now Mm. when we have this traction and when things are starting to heat up it seems like it's mostly my co-founder his because he's a you know has he's a developer he has 25 years of experience and his instinct and his philosophy seem to have been uh, very very right so we basically mm-hmm. 90% of the stuff we built has been it's also because it's been very close to like um like doing medical research only, or almost right it's it's been very mm-hmm. academic how should a test what happens in a browser when someone does an action, and how do you right. build an automation language based on natural language in the browser? So we kind of solved an academic problem, and then we kind of built the product around it. So now, of course, half the features we build are directly requested by customers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No. So you're yeah. So you're building a
0: you're building a base because you know well. Uh, you, you, it's, it's more. It's a product that is aimed at developers. It's more technical product, and you, you have a pretty good understanding what needs to be built a, as a baseline before jumping
1: into the feedback. Exactly like that. Like everyone around us, all our mentors, all the you know the lean startup methodology was like, you know, we gotta do customer interviews. You gotta get out there, and I would recommend that. Just in our case we were really, really devoted to the base technology, and now we have an extremely strong foundation to stand on. So I'm not saying this is a a recommended approach, but just because Mm -hmm. it's test automation, this was for us a necessary approach. No, certainly Matt's question on the ideas
0: whenever you are working whenever you are thinking of ways to come up with something new to solve a problem. Where do you what is your resource to come up with new ideas uh, the ones that you possibly like execute on business uh, where, where, where where's where's your source are you reading are you watching something.
1: So, so I, I I you know, I listen to a lot of different podcasts and I read um, not as much as I would want to. I have a big to-do list on that. And when it comes to ideas, there have been certain really like aha moments coming from the outside. But sometimes it's actually been kind of having... Like having a really difficult problem and then just letting it stew. And then sometimes... Mm-hmm almost without noticing it's been resolved by some sort of idea. The second thing is it seems like um, my co-founder also has a lot of very kind of progressive ideas and ideas around, um, well, let's not go into that because that's some crazy stuff, but he has a very different look at computer science as a field. So we kind Mm -hmm. of take a very contrarian view on, you know, we don't believe in kind of like uh, this, we believe to that we, you, you should build very, very solid, um, you should build things the right way, right? So we have a very mm-hmm. strong belief in how computer science should be run and how you should do programming. And we are very similar in that. And that's where we, it's our similarity in, from working, mm. you know, enterprise software where all projects mm. fa- fail, right? So so <laughs> it, it's useless <laughs> software. All big companies build useless software, right? So absolutely. So, yes so 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 we have we, we, we join in the, the ki- kind of software we want to build and then from that kind of base belief there is a lot of ideas that comes from that
0: Mm, Interesting. No, that's that's, that's very cool. Uh, I wanted to touch on the books because I I like reading books. I know there's uh, quite a lot of people in the audience that also want uh, book recommendations. I try to give them as much as I can. What are some of the books that you found super helpful for you, maybe from the business, from development, from any from other areas, not necessarily maybe you read recently,
1: but just in general? that you would recommend uh, to people? Yeah, yeah, I actually have one book I want to recommend. Because, you know, I've read, you know, a lot of people have read The Lean Startup and and Crossing yes. the Chasm. And, you know, Peter Thiel is always fun, Zero to One. Uh, and right. they're all very oh, good it. books. But, but as a, a starting book where you get, like, kind of a recipe for a lot of the things you want to do as a startup, there is this book that I don't think get a lot of attention. And it's called, uh, it's really pragmatic. I'm just going to remember while I'm live here what it's sure. called. It's called yeah. Disciplined Entrepreneurship, 24 Steps to a Successful Startup. I don't know if, if you heard about that. No, this I haven't heard actually. No, I am definitely want to check this out. Because this is this guy called Bill. I think he's... Um, He's some sort of professor or something, but it's just kind of taking a lot of the ideas from the lean startup and and mm-hmm. also like Crossing the Chasm is quite old, but he kind of puts all these together in like in steps and they're really uh, pragmatic. So this is, I really, really recommend this book interesting absolutely well I'm, I'm i'm gonna put it on the list and we will link it in the
0: show notes everybody can grab it uh i will be the probably one of the first few <laughs> but no this is awesome now matt's last question where's where's everybody can find you online
1: so our company is boozang.com and uh, there should be a free trial there if you want to sign up we'd love to hear what you think mm-hmm. um uh, and of course, that will—I guess—that will be in the show notes. And um, yes, well, we'll get it in the show notes, absolutely. And I'll—I'll—I I'll guess, um, hopefully, we're gonna hit this uh, kind of level four automation where you know we can just—you can just point us to a site, and we will um, will test your application for you. But uh, until then, uh, check out uh, how far we are now.
0: Yeah, no, check out uh, check out what uh, Matt is doing at Boozang, It's pretty cool stuff. I don't have an app personally to test. If I did, I would be already signing up, but we will link the, the link it in the show notes and I will add the LinkedIn profile as well, just in case people want to follow you and see the cool stuff you're doing and updates for the level four automation. But Matt, it's been a pleasure, great chat, and uh, really happy that you, uh, you joined me today. Thank you very much. <laughs>